Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. With me today, Jamie Wilkerson. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing great. You know what? I think I was driving by our local Starbucks, and I, your car was out there. Is that possible? Oh, my goodness. It might have been. <laughs> okay, so you've got a young son. His name is Jonathan. Yes. Brilliant. Yes, I know you love that mocha green tea, but when he walks into the store with you, what does he want? He likes the coffee cake. And you know what? Sometimes he'll ask for, if it's cold outside, he'll ask for hot peppermint tea. Mm-hmm. But he's a fan too. I mean, you're raising him up right. Oh yes. You, you of take course. him. You're teaching him all about knowledge and everything. And part of that is Starbucks. You got it. That's right. I'm for it. I tried to raise my kids up at Starbucks too, in a way, and they're all <laughs> fans. But what's weird is I don't even like coffee. I don't either. But I love Starbucks. Yeah. Now my kids, my sons are all into coffee, but not me. Now I do like a Java Frappuccino. Have you ever had okay. a Java Frapp? Oh, I've never had one. That's a little bit of coffee flavor, but some Java chips, some chocolate in it. Okay. And then I have a banana added. I get a grande, but when you put the banana in, it gets bigger and overflows. So oh for the gosh. price of the grande, they'll give you a, a venti cup, which is the biggest monster cup. <laughs> I'm telling you, worth a trip, folks. But now oh you're thinking, gosh. why are we even talking about Starbucks? Well, here's why. Because Starbucks has become one of the most ubiquitous omnipresent retail enterprises in the whole world. There are very few places you can go today without seeing the big green. And that makes me wonder, is there something I can learn from that? Whether you like Starbucks or not, whether you think it's overpriced or underpriced, whether you want to drive by or stop in, everybody knows Starbucks. And there's something in that story that can teach me about how I live too. I know there is. Lessons, life lessons from your local Starbucks. That's our series on Viewpoint. Stay with us. We're going to give you some truth. I stumbled on a book, Jamie. It's called It's Not About the Coffee. It was written by a man named Howard Bahar. He was an executive at Starbucks for many years. He's now retired. He had a front row seat in the development of this global brand. In fact, when he was hired in, his job was to help Starbucks expand outside of its local Seattle base and some other cities in the United States into a global presence. And so he walked with the company through that. He was up close with Howard Schultz, the guy who's been the genius behind the whole thing, and the other executives and leaders of the company, as well as working shoulder to shoulder with people at your local barista counter at your local Starbucks. I mean, it's a fascinating book. And and he's written in this book, It's Not About the Coffee, about the lessons that have driven Starbucks to its great success. And I picked the book up thinking, well, maybe there's something there for me. And as I was reading it, I was really moved by, well, the humanity of the author. I don't know him, but there's something in his writing that that his heart jumps out. It's not just about a to-do list or a kind of professional textbook. It's not like that at all. It's stories about how life has been at Starbucks and why the company succeeds and sometimes fails. I know you've been reading alongside with me, and uh, one chapter especially struck me, and it was about how we have to face challenges. Sometimes I look at a thing like Starbucks and I think, well, they don't really have many challenges, but they certainly do, don't they? Oh, yes. I mean, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about one of the challenges they faced, and then you think if you can think of one even more current since the book was written. Okay. One thing that Bahar describes is an awful moment when they had a Starbucks store in Washington, D.C., where there was a botched robbery just as the store was closing. I, as I was reading it, I could imagine my own local Starbucks just down the street from our studio. You know, it's closing up about 10 o'clock at night. You're not many people about. Somebody comes into the store, and three employees at Starbucks are shot dead in a robbery that was 
just a bungled mess. And how terrifying that was for the company, because it was the first time it seems that they had experienced violence in their store. And three of the their team members, they call them partners, the people who worked at the store, shot dead. And Bahar, who was at the top tier of the company, described how he got the call 3 a.m. It was in Washington, D.C., but he was out in Seattle where the company's headquartered, 3 a.m. Pacific time, when he got the call about the tragedy. And he called Howard Schultz, who was in New York at the time, just visiting, and how Schultz went from New York to the store to personally meet with the families and how the whole company grieved. And, you know, all the stories or all the responses, well, we should have had a lock on the door. Where was a TV camera? I mean, all of that was pushed to the side in the immediate moment of just grieving. And Bahar talked about how they couldn't pretend like it didn't happen. You know, it'd be easy just to kind of, well, that's out in Washington, D.C., and that's one store. We've got 20,000 stores in other places. And No, no, they had to face it. It was real. And I think I've learned watching Starbucks, even in the headlines, that they have problems and challenges too, and they faced it. Do you remember that story about those young black men in a Philadelphia Starbucks? I think it was just last year. And they were just in the store waiting for another friend. They didn't order anything. And somebody called the police. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I remember that. I mean, it was an awful moment because Mm -hmm. these guys, because of the color of their skin, were not able just to wait in the store. They were suspicioned by a person who worked in the store, a guy behind the counter called the police. He was kind of psyched out by the fact these two young guys were there. And of course, it was totally outrageous. And it was a real black eye for Starbucks that likes to see itself as very welcoming and and embracing to a diverse world. And here in their own store, one of their own employees calls the police. But you know what they did? They stared it right down. Mm -hmm. Boy, in a few weeks, every Starbucks was closed. Every Starbucks. Tens of thousands of stores were closed. Why? So in every store, the staff, the partners could be trained about how you are welcoming and how you do not have prejudicial attitudes. And everyone who walks in the door is someone you're going to value. Well, that's that was really constructive. And you know, a similar story just happened this summer where some police officers, I think there were five of them, were in a store in Tempe, Arizona, that's suburban Phoenix. And again, a staff member went to the police officer and said, you know, we'd feel more comfortable if you just wouldn't be in our store because some other customers had expressed to the people working behind the counter, we feel kind of uncomfortable with these policemen hanging around. So the policemen were asked to leave. But wait a minute, the policemen were just on their break. <laughs> They're public servants. They were just there to take a deep breath. And here they were pushed out of the store. Again, Starbucks right on it immediately. The top brass is talking to the people of the police in Tempe, Arizona. They're doing through training. They're making it clear that this was an aberration, not the cause. It's easy for us sometimes when you see something like that to just think, well, that was just an odd anecdote that wasn't really real. But Starbucks faces its challenges. There's some lesson there. I mean, wow, how do you stay on course, Jamie? I mean, he talks a little bit about how they weather those storms. How do you think that at Starbucks, for instance, the company faces those challenges? What's important to them as they have a a headline that's negative on the company? What do they do? What do they say? It was very important for them to stay on course and hold steady demands that they knew kind of helped them and reminded them of who they were, why they were there, and what their assignment was. And they thought it was important to not forget the assignment, to pay attention to others one person at a time, caring for them and sharing life. And, and to be transparent, not cover things up, but face them. It's a value system, isn't it? 
Now, I'm, I'm guessing someone listening to us today said, I went to a Starbucks store and wasn't treated right, or that's not the values I experienced. <laughs> you know, if you're going to have a global brand like that, I'm certain there are some missed moments. But Bahar, in his book, is writing about this is our ambition as the leadership of the company is to stare things down, to make things right. If there's an injustice, we want to own it and get past it and do better. And there's a life lesson there. There's a oh, reason yeah. why. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I might disagree with some of the politics of Howard Schultz, let's say, or some of the things that the company has embraced, I can respect the fact that they own their stuff and they are willing to move forward past it and, and to make things better. Well, that's a truth that doesn't just originate with Starbucks. That truth has been around a lot longer. In fact, you can find that in the New Testament. Life Lessons at Starbucks isn't just about Starbucks. It's about life itself. And what better book to go to than the New Testament itself? Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. Jimmy, as I think about uh, facing challenges and not running away from them, which I want to do sometimes, I just don't want to face the challenges. When I think about that, 
Perhaps one of the greatest stories of all history is found in John's Gospel, chapter 11, where Jesus is asked to come to the side of his friend Lazarus because he's sick and he's seriously ill. And by the time Jesus gets there, he's already passed away. I mean, there's so much about the story that I'm thinking, would I have handled it the same way as Jesus? Apart from the fact that I don't go to cemeteries and call people from the grave, that's what's going to happen here. But maybe I would have just skipped the house of Lazarus, or maybe I would have just tried to go to the Sea of Galilee and spend some time in a boat and not worry about what's going on across the country in another little town called Bethany. I mean, in this story, Jesus models for us how we face challenges. Let's hear a little bit from the story. The whole thing is unpacked in John chapter 11, but uh, we can't read the whole thing on this broadcast. But Jamie, pick it up at verse 30. What's happened is Jesus has come to Bethany. That's the town where Lazarus' friend lived. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. They're grieving, they're weeping, they're sorrowful. Jesus is coming up on them. And what does he do? First of all, he's decided to go there. He's going to face the challenge, but then what? This is John chapter 11, verse 30. Start it off for us. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? he asked. They told him, Jesus, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. We just read from John chapter 11, Jesus is faced with the death of his friend Lazarus and a family that he loves is grieving. And it's a crisis of the first magnitude. I mean, This is not just incidental in their lives, and Jesus makes it a part of his life too. He knows that he can't just ignore it. He has to go and be a part of it. And so for everyone who loved Lazarus, who knew him in the community where he lived, Jesus decided he would stop by. And he did not problem solve first. What did he do? He wept. He wept. I mean, (laughs) he felt it. Isn't this so important? He felt their grief. I don't know about you, Jamie, but sometimes I've had moments where people tried to analyze or they tried to help me by giving me some truth that's going to help me feel better about the events when actually I just need them to hug me. Yeah. I just need them to give me a sense that I'm loved and sometimes life is hard and mm-hmm. we don't always have the answers. And that's what Jesus, who is himself God who has all the answers, mm-hmm. he, he actually just weeps. He feels it with them. It's not a show either. He's feeling them like we need to feel 
And that's a life lesson for all of us. It's a lesson that Jesus models. Did you notice something else about Jesus' emotions? What other emotion did he have there? He was also angry. Angry. What, what do you think that's about? Why is he angry? I think he was angry at the injustice of sin and death, the way in which um, creation had been corrupted by the thief, the enemy of our souls. His anger was righteous. It was focused. It was powerful. It was for the good. You know, I, I think you're exactly spot on. I, I don't always see anger as, a, as an emotion to share or one that, to be proud of or even to own. But actually, Jesus was a very emotional guy, and he sometimes was angry. And in this case, his sorrow was matched by this anger, but it was righteous anger. I think the reason we see anger as, as so destructive is it is destructive when it's not righteous. Our anger sometimes is born of our pride or our woundedness or you know some defensiveness. Jesus was wholly secure with who he was and wasn't worried about what other people thought. But he was angry that this world is such a broken place. And you know what? If you want to be motivated to actually make a difference for the good, sometimes you've got to get a little righteous anger going in there. And you have to be able to weep with those who've been suffered loss. And you also have to have some, some passion to say, you know what? This is wrong. And I want to do something about it if I can. Jesus is modeling that for us. And I think that any smart business person is going to do that too. Any of us who are smart should be following in that same footstep. And how did he comfort them? What do you think? He was there. He was present. That was one way. He wept with them and he listened to them. Oh, he listened to them. I mean, think about that too. He spent a lot of time listening to the sisters talk about their brother and Mm -hmm. if you'd only been here and yes, I think you're a really great guy, Jesus, but I don't know what to think about this. But he's just listening. He already knows the backstory, but he's listening. That's part of the healing process, isn't it? And I think he also shares with them the truth. Yeah. His truth is, this is awful, but it's not the last stop. That's this, right. this is a chapter closed, but there's going to be a new chapter. I, I want you to start thinking, hopefully, about how this awful tragedy is going to be turned around for the good. Well, wow, there's something really powerful in that too, isn't there? Facing my challenges is not just about acknowledging them. It's about finding hope on the other side of them. And if anybody brought that to life, that was Jesus. I mean, he walks into the space. He feels my grief. He weeps with me. He listens to me. He holds me. He's present with me. And then he says, there's more. I'm going to tell you the truth. There's more here than you can see. When we think about our world, everybody's important. And how often do we just drive by and ignore challenges that they're facing that could be our challenge too? So easy for me to think, well, that person was wrong, that, that was not just, and think, well, but that's not my fight. No, maybe it is my fight. It's so easy to think, well, that person's uh, wounded, but what can I do about that? Well, maybe there is something I can do about it. Maybe I don't have the capacity to call the dead to life out of a grave, but I know how to weep. I know how to listen. I know how to be present. So much here for us to think about. So we're not quite sure where you are in your life, but here's some questions for all of us to consider. What challenge, crisis, or catastrophe is in your sights? Will you run away or stare it down? Do you believe it's possible that God can turn it for something good and overcome it? Are there lessons to be learned from it? Will you be bold? Wow, those are great questions, Jamie. They're all right out of Jesus walking into Bethany and uh, 
the tragedy of Lazarus passing. Life sometimes can be summarized by these three C's. There are challenges, there are crises, and there are catastrophes. Challenges are things that we have to stare down. Crises are things that we cause to happen. Catastrophes are things that can overtake us. But when that happens, will we be bold? Will we stand up and face them? How do we do it? I'm not able to do it by myself. I can't speak for you, Jamie, or anybody else, but I know I'm not, I'm not all that to, by myself, stare down every challenge I, I meet. But Jesus is all that. And so I want to encourage all of our listeners to experience Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do in life. I want to surrender my life into the arms of Jesus because he has power I do not. He has wisdom I do not. He has heart and soul I do not. But I want him to remake me in his own image. And I have to admit first that I am not able by myself, that I am a mess up myself, that I have sinned, I have fallen short, I have made many mistakes, and there's nothing I can do about it. But he has done it for me on the cross. He stood in my place. He hung in my place. He died in my place. And he rose from the grave in my place so that I can live. So today, I want to invite you to pray with me a prayer of commitment to Jesus, knowing that if you surrender your life into his hands, he can remake you, renew you, recreate you, and then empower you to stare down every challenge that comes your way. Take a deep breath and pray. Lord, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who came into this world and showed us how to live. More than that, he made it possible for us to live, not just now, but in the world to come. And more than that, he also has bequeathed to us the Comforter, his Holy Spirit, that can possess us and empower us to do things we can't do by ourselves. We're thankful for the forgiveness and grace he brings. And today, Lord, we know the world is full of challenges and we can't predict what's coming down the road next. But in this world, we want to trust Jesus. We admit our need of him. Lord, we surrender and ask Jesus to recreate us, to cause us to be born again, that we can actually be in his kingdom here now, and that he will fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we can stand up and stare down whatever comes our way. May we, like Jesus, know how to weep and grieve with those who do. May we, like Jesus, be able to listen to their hearts. May we, like Jesus, know how to be present. And may we, like Jesus, know how to bring the truth of hope into even the darkest hour. May that be experienced by us and help us, Lord, to help others know this experience too. We ask it humbly, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. You have been broken, your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS I will send out an army Find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true, I will rescue you. 
There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter. I'll be your armor. I hear That prayer was not just a poetic gesture. It's a real thing. God is hearing it. And if you prayed it with us, or if you'd like to talk about the prayer, or ask more questions about this before you make a prayer like that your own, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're by the phone. We want to hear from you. Jamie, if someone doesn't want to call us, but they'd still like to reach out, how could they find us online? They could go to cbhviewpoint.org. cbhviewpoint.org. That's Christians Broadcasting Hope, cbhviewpoint.org. That's who we are. You can read about the ministry there. You can also send us an email, and we will reply, I promise. Or the last, just send me a note. Write it down, put it in an envelope, and get a stamp and address it to... Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Jamie, so good to see you in the studio. Thanks for coming. It's so good to be here. And we thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll be with us again next week as we have our last installment in this series of Life Lessons from Starbucks. Until then, all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, and all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team are here to say thanks for listening and stay tuned.